I would say it's very easy to bring a child into this world, but it is not easy to create that child or mold that child or make that child to be the superpower for tomorrow or a future leader for tomorrow. So if we are able to kind of make mothers more mentally happy and healthy, to bring down these souls who want to come in, I think uh, it just adds a like fantastic dimension to what you're doing right now in life. Hey everyone, this is Helene from Coming From The Heart podcast, an inspirational and motivational podcast about mental health, mindfulness, speaking your truth and never feeling alone. Going out with friends should be really, really fun. You don't want to worry about drink spiking or roofing. That is why I have partnered with Nightcap, as seen on ABC's Shark Tank. They are the drink spiking solution. And their innovative products slip over the covered bottle. And voila, they got you covered. Please use promo code CFTH for 20% off your purchase. Hi, Helene. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I love your sunny background. Well, thank you. So <laughs> on LinkedIn, we had this incredible conversation. So nice to have you here. So, so nice Pleasure to have you. Pleasure is mine. Pleasure is mine. Yeah. I feel like we definitely have a banter as I'm squinting here in my, <laughs> my space. Let's dive into this. Yeah, I found LinkedIn and I thought, wow, she's amazing. She's about women empowerment. I have Ethan's book. I'm promoting you, Ethan. And I love chatter. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to stalk a little bit on LinkedIn I saw you doing this great stuff and I was like, I have to connect to her. So we'll get to chatter in a moment. Your background is so cool. You're an organizational psychologist. You're a founder at- Avitas, yeah. Avitas, okay. You're into corporate maternity wellness. You take it away. Tell about your background. Tell why you're in this space. I know you spent some time, of course, going to University of Michigan, how you decided to get where you are now physically, yeah. mentally, spiritually. And thanks for being here. I love it. Nice to meet you. I'm excited. Yeah. What a loaded question. I don't even know where to start. I think no one really grows up thinking that they want to do perinatal mental health psychology. I think it's not one of those chosen fields of study right out of university or even, you know, in high school, like it, that's something that doesn't really exist. I think I fell into it as with millions of other women who go through a certain period in their life that brings transition and experience and change and somehow feel that that is their calling and maybe like a catalyst there's something that they have which they want to give back to the world perhaps so that's how I actually fell into perinatal mental health I come from a family of business my family's into business for a very 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 long time on my paternal side my maternal side is all education so I have my mom's a teacher my grandmother was a professor. So I come from, you know, like a mix of education slash business. So from yeah. a very early on, there was kind of grounded in how I grew up where business was always taken as a way of, you know, making sure that you were always financially independent, financially secure, whatever you're doing always has some sort of a mindset that enables you to kind of you know move on from one generation to like a wealth creation, perhaps. Absolutely. And on the other side, It was all about education and advocacy. And that's how I somehow got into it. So being a psychologist, I was into coaching for a very long time. I am a PCC coach from ICF for well over, I think about six, seven years now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have had the privilege of working with phenomenal women and men alike and have been, you know, instrumental in their journeys in finding their potentials, helping them with their challenges Somehow during my pregnancy, I fell into the space where I realized I had no support and support, not so much from where you're staying in the physical or the material things. I meant more on the emotional side. And all of a sudden we talk about how raising children is like, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, but somehow you're kind of on your own. You really don't have a village anymore. Or if there is one, it's very expensive where you have to then, you know, fend for nannies or have extra help. It's just not, it wasn't feasible for when I was going through that process. 
coming from a corporate background and having worked, I realized that there was a serious gap where I was actually planning to exit organization. And it was not just me wanting to exit. It felt like there were situations created where you almost physically feel like you no longer belong. Right. Although I had phenomenal support in my organization at that time, great boss, you know, mentor, you can tell it, but somehow it's just, you know, like the puzzle just doesn't fit anymore. And you have changed. You've become a mother now. You have evolved and your priorities have changed too. And it should change. Absolutely. That's where I kind of gotten into the whole mental health and especially perinatal mental health. Mm-hmm. Women are exiting. We have shortage of women in workforce. And it wasn't just so much about helping women come back to work post-pregnancy. It's all about how can you prevent women from exiting in the first place? So while there are so many programs out there created by companies and MNCs and wanting them to come back, helping them upskill, helping them retrain, give them internships, but there is nothing preventing them from leaving in the first place. It kind of falls back as back of my mind. I'm a part HR too, right? You know, you want to look at the talent and you want to make sure that we retain these educated and talented and ambitious women and don't lose them. And if we are able to create that kind of an ecosystem and a culture that supports the pregnant women's journey, I believe it's only for the better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, no. I can go on and on about this, but no, no, yeah. no. I mean, and I no. want you to. No, no, I want you to because you can definitely give background better than I. You have so many different MSC, PCC, PMH. What does all that mean? My MSc stands for Masters of Sciences. That's an organizational psychology, which I've received from University of London, Birkbeck College. Uh, It was a program where I was able to also do my dissertation research as well. PCC is very common. It's a professional certified coach from ICF, which is International Coach Federation, one of the governing bodies that accredits coaches uh, globally and world over. So they have certain stipulation. You go through a very rigorous training and coaching program where you are trained for, you know, so many hours, you have to go through evaluations, uh, recording sessions where the other MCC coaches kind of look at you and see where you stand. And after a certain, you know, number of hours that you log in, you are able to kind of move on on that journey. A recent one that I have received, which is my perinatal mental health, that mm-hmm. comes from PSI, which is Postpartum Support International. That's a U.S.-based organization very vocal and very out there in promoting mental health for women, especially for perinatal mental health, especially for mood and anxiety disorders, which people don't generally know about. There is a lot of talk on depression and postpartum blues, but there isn't so much about mood and anxiety, which kind of creates the entire dichotomy. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I'm so excited to have you for so many reasons, because you have your background you have the personality and the kindness that go absolutely with it. And as I was saying to you in our summer conversation, which seems like years ago, which years was ago, <laughs> I have a friend in Arizona, her name's Dina, and she has a platform called Empower to Heal. And when we had our women's empowerment moments in March, then I would absolutely love you to join our next moments this March, which I'm talking March, it's what October now, but time flies, as we know, to be a voice of empowerment for so many. And today, of course, is World Mental Health Day. So we need to applaud that. I think that we're doing okay with where we are, depending upon the space that we're at, in the area that you were mentioning of your expertise and your focus in perinatal support is that most of the time, when you go to your doctor, I'm not going to throw all OBs under the bus or your primary. No one kind of tells you what's going to be going on with your body. I know back in the day, 25 years ago, sounds like a long time ago, when I was <laughs> pregnant. Now, you know, now at least, okay, we have social media, there's things, there's groups, there's places to connect to that these things are happening to your body while you're feeling a certain way. You mentioned mm-hmm. mood and anxiety. Absolutely. But that really should be spoken of before maybe even you get pregnant. Let's talk about that. You know, you might be in a situation, not even when you are pregnant. I say, talk about it when you and your spouse partner are deciding that this is something that you guys want to do. Have that conversation because it's going to give you a little bit or not a little bit, a lot of bit of knowledge before you actually are there. And maybe you'll be fine. Maybe you're not going to have any issues. I was excessively fortunate. I did not have 
pretty much any of this going through my pregnancies. I mean, I think that for various reasons, I mean, yes, it's hormonal and it's sometimes innate in families where things carry from one generation to the other, where your mother may have had some issues or an aunt, where you're feeling this off or having anxiety or having some real mental health issues. But I think that I had a supportive husband and I self-cared a lot, even when my babies were small, that I took care of myself. I went on a bike ride. I got on a stationary bike. There were a lot of things that I did for myself. So not to say. So I want you to speak on that a little bit, to speak pre. I don't well, know how you There is that. an element. So if you have might have noticed lately with education, you know, we are raising daughters. We're giving her wings to fly. And as, as exactly what you mentioned, we're doing so many things in maybe like dispelling inequality. We want our girls to do exactly what our boys can do too. We don't want any apprehensions. We want her to have the world and she's doing all those things because that is how we are raising her. So imagine for 18, 20 years, 25 years, she's studying, getting her licenses or professional degrees. All of a sudden, she gets pregnant, has a family. Right. And she has to decide. I think it's completely unfair. It's unjust. And I think as a society, we haven't yet really looked into that. And perhaps it's, you know, maybe just me thinking out too loud in my head that, it's just become like so normal, like it's so normal. Oh yeah, you're pregnant. Okay. It's not a big deal because yeah, it is part of nature. It is something yeah. that is to continue. It's not a very limited uh, addition kind of a thing. You know, right. we have taken it for granted perhaps yes. that we don't really look at that whole scenario. And it's, you no, know, it's so sad. It's not just about, first I thought it was a patriarchal society, but then I looked at the Western countries too. And right. it's not just patriarchal societies of the Eastern countries, you know, it's globally, it's the world over. Right. Every single nation goes through this and they have a moment where when a woman becomes pregnant or has chances of planning parenthood, she is given a choice. Either she is pushed out of the organization or she has to opt out. And I think that is completely unfair. Coming from you know being now a mother, being a woman, I never had that training. I mean, I look back and I said, my mom, you know, you never prepared me for what's about to come. And I think most mothers, or at least in my generation, you know, being a millennial, I don't think I even had that kind of a conversation with my mom. Right. I don't think those conversations even existed in the first place. No, it was. it's sort of like, write a passage. This is what yeah. you do. I want to talk about, well, socioeconomic, definitely. I want to talk about culture, being that you're in Dubai. I know you spend some time, of course, in Canada. Ethnicity, and all that comes so into play as well. There's certain ethnic groups that clearly, like from one generation, they sort of just take on that responsibility. I'm thinking of the Hispanic culture or different cultures out there where it's sort of just all hands on deck. But yeah. in lots of others, it's not so much that. So I can talk from my experience, per se. My mother has always been a working woman. I've always seen her as a working woman. So for me, that was normal and that was natural. Right. I never saw myself as a homemaker in the sense where I would just devote my entire time being at home. Mm -hmm. So I come from that, you know, predisposed subconscious wiring right. where I just had to work and I just took on that responsibility from a very young age. And, you know, like you said, being raised in Canada, being a first generation immigrant, we went through a lot of hardships. I mean, I was the eldest in the family and I saw my family struggle to really give us the best life. And I think somehow you kind of partake in that struggle and those challenges, and it makes you resilient. I moved on this part of the world, but first of all, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. I mean, it's a complete amalgamation of culture and ethnicity and diversity and the inclusion. It's it's really amazing. I think over here, you get to feel each and every pulse, I guess you can say, of you know the, what surrounds you. And you get to experience those, which I don't think I had in Canada. I mean, okay. obviously there is a diversity in Canada, but at the end of the day, we are all like very alike. And perhaps mm -hmm. because I grew up as a Canadian, my mentality or my mindset would be very Canadian. Like, well, over here, you know, you meet so many different people and you realize that it is a melting pot of thoughts and your yeah. perspectives are challenged and your perspectives actually, you know, have a new light. You're able to see things from a different point of view, particularly in these areas where motherhood is seen as more of a job where a mother has to, you know, be at home and look after the family. I feel it is still very prevalent in many cultures and not just in one sub area, such as maybe this region, 
there is a still underlying presumption that a woman role still belongs in the kitchen or still mm -hmm. belongs at home where she's serving the family and she's looking after the needs of the family. And my take is that she can still do those things and, she, you know, she can still go to work and excel mm -hmm. there as well. Right. I mean, that line, that boundary has really changed over the years. And it's just sad that women do want to work and they're not given enough options to want to work. Yeah, that's, that's the hard yeah. reality right now. Yeah, I mean, COVID really pushed women out in like mass numbers. And you can't really ask a mother to prioritize work and her children. I mean, at the end of the day, she is going to have to choose her children and she should choose her children no matter what. They are the future of our generation. They are going to lead the nation or the country. And she has all the right to want to pursue that. But mm -hmm. to kind of discriminate her, to make her feel like she no longer belongs. I think that's where we need to kind of bring that awareness in. Definitely. I think when I, I see your face, I think you're speaking from the core. Because I remember when you were saying that you were in your corporate job and you felt that aspect of what you're talking about, where maybe, I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I remember the conversation where you were saying like that maybe you were feeling not as respected by colleagues in that way or oh, you're going to go back to work or making these really tough decisions because why do women have to make such tough decisions? It's like, does a man have to do that? No, <laughs> I mean, clearly not. Look, yeah. there's a lot of men that do stay home with their kids. I'm talking here, Western culture. I can't speak on any other culture where they've made that decision. Yeah. Someone in the house has to be making the income or, yeah. you know, the bulk mm -hmm. of the income. And that's pretty much it. So yeah, guys definitely have stepped up to that. I did my best when my kids were small to support what was going on with my husband. He was definitely more supportive. And then we sort of were equally doing what we needed to do yeah. as the kids got older. But back to you and back to that part, that's difficult where other women are kind of looking at you, maybe not in the best space. Yeah. yeah. Or play. <laughs> well, the challenge with pregnancy is that, you know, you think you're confident and you got everything under control the first six months. Well, first of all, no one really knows you're expecting till the third month, right? The third month finishes right. and then you technically announce your pregnancy. I feel that's where everything changes because mm -hmm. while people are very happy for you in a mm -hmm. corporate setting, the first question most of the times is like, okay, she's going to leave. Who's going to take her job? Who's going to be doing all that work? Or right. what's going to happen? Is right. she going to come back? I mean, there's so many this cultural presumptions with everything. And, you know, you get judged. And a lot of times, Absolutely. if yeah. you're in an organization and that has a phenomenal culture where there are senior women leaders who are propagating wellness, when I say wellness, I mean, they have a culture where motherhood is cherished, where they allow yes. children to come to work, where they are giving parental leaves, where mm -hmm. they have created an entire pool of successive women who have continued to come back post-pregnancy and thrive and have been promoted. But for that to happen, not all organizations follow that, right? Most of the times it is the, you know, the stress of, uh, okay, well, what more, you know, now she's going to go on leaves, you know, now the child's going to come up, she can't stay for the meetings after hours. Right. I mean, a lot of things happen. So it's, it's a very blurred line and you really need to know how you're kind of traversing it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of women, I think when I was in that period, I think if I can recall correctly, I knew what I was getting into. I mean, although pregnancy, you know, both my pregnancies were planned as such, but I knew what was what I was going into. And I knew the expectations because coming from an HR background, you know what's going to happen, you know, like the future, you sure. kind of predicted. Absolutely. So I knew what was going to happen. Somewhere I knew I had a gut instinct that if I come back, I will not be the same. And perhaps there was no flexibility at that time because this was pre-COVID. And mm -hmm. at that time, you were expected to be back on site, be in front where people can see you and clock in and clock out. Unfortunately, flexibility did not exist at that point in time. And I knew I just couldn't do that. And at the same time, there was a lot of pressure, unfortunately, from family as well, because you have to understand that the culture plays such a dynamic role in you growing up. And this is where I say your own mother or your own family or your own relatives who have kind of helped you to be who you are almost immediately then reminds you that you're no longer that, but now you have to be home that your job mm -hmm. is to raise your family and to, you know, do all these things. And that is still prevalent. And it's so sad to see that. Yes. That's what I'm trying to do. It's like, I know women want to work and they don't want to leave. What can we do 
to kind of bring that or merge those in together. Now, you can't go and explain families the importance of women in workplace. Well, let's try corporate. Let's try organizations who actually want women. Can they have receptability to understand this and maybe do something to create programs and training and sponsorship and mentorship to support her pregnancy journey so that she comes back feeling confident and not full of doubts or feeling, you know, much more valued and cherished instead of, oh, I have to have, you know, prove my worth all over again. I love what you're saying. I I, yeah, I love what you're saying. Because I'm thinking about my own journey. I'm thinking about my friend's journey and so forth that, yeah, it's one of those situations. I speak to my daughter, she's a Gen Zer. She's out there. She has a career. She's doing it. And she's, you know, to have to put that to the side if she decides to have a family and then kind of balance it all. That's why women are so excessively burnt out and exhausted because they're juggling all this stuff. How many companies realistically, I mean, look, I want to hear the day in the life of you and what you do and counsel and all that are really that receptive. Even women organizations that you think, you think they would be, you know, oh, we're women and you're a woman. I don't know about that, Nitty, because sometimes I don't think that is 100% either, where the expectation is still pretty intense. And then, you know, when someone's leaving a company, you know, you have a certain amount of time off. And I want to speak on the time off for a moment, because I think you were saying that sometimes there's so much time that when, you know, maternity leave, I don't know which maternity leave is here in the United States. I think is it six months? I have no clue. Something no. generally speaking. Much less, yeah. It's, it's maybe four months or something. But yet in other countries, there's this abundance of time and maybe time isn't great because then it's more difficult to get back in to where you kind of left off and then somebody else kind of took over your job. Yeah. So it's hard. I'm sorry, men don't have to deal with that. Okay, so... <laughs> What can I tell you? But the expectation, the cultural expectation is that in most situations or, you know, and we're talking culture, we're talking socioeconomics and all this other stuff. Not everybody can hire a nanny to take care of your kids and all that other stuff Mm -hmm. that happens. And then what happens in the nanny doesn't work out. Then who's going home to take care of your child? Who's not well that day? I know there were many moments I was driving 95 miles an hour down the highway because the nurse called and said, come get him now. And you're like, okay. And honestly, it was horrible. I had to lie sometimes. Okay. So whoever listening to this podcast, I did lie because (laughs) I had to, to survive. You know, my kid had strep throat for the whole week. Oh, you're still out? Like I'm making shit up as I get along because I had to survive. It's survival. <laughs> so so um, I can say on this part of the world, I mean, now that I've experienced the Canadian side and the Middle Eastern yes. Dubai side, there is a lot of, I would say, domestic help available here. Mm-hmm. So this part of the world, you will see a lot of help in terms of easy accessibility to and affordability to nannies maids, for example, or having, you know, cleaners to come in on part-time basis from companies, you know, we can just call them up and they start uh, charge a certain very affordable hourly wage that you can give to these cleaners. And it kind of works around where most of the women who are able to kind of work from Dubai or out from here are able to do it much more efficiently and productively compared to the rest of the world, I would say. And rest of the world, because I don't know the other parts of the world and how they function. I do know that uh, access to helpers are also available in greater parts of India. Okay. But over here, I know it's quite common to have a driver or baby services to come pick up your children at school. Okay. There are, you know, helpers, multiple helpers, I would say, available mm-hmm. to take care of your household day-to-day groceries and things. So <laughs> it, okay. does make, it does uh, make motherhood. Not happening here, <laughs> Nitty. No, no. I motherhood a lot easier. <laughs> no. Know. It's sad. No. Anyway, so again, we're talking region. Give us your daily situation with a client, how you support what you do. How do you get your clients? How do they find you? Give us the rundown. What's going on? So most of the times it is on individual basis. I work and coach with mothers. 
Some of them are company-based. So there are organizations who reach out to me. They have women who are pregnant and expecting. And like I said, they want to create a culture that promotes wellness they want to kind of build onto that and they're probably progressive. Mm -hmm. I've noticed there's also a bit of a spiritual dimension to this, which looks at the consciousness or they're looking at from the sustainability side of things, which okay. is where I focus on because I look at the social sustainability of women retention as a way of making sure that our future generation is taken care of and for the companies to kind of retain that. What I've found in most, I would say, is coaching is my highest day-to-day you know, okay. I speak to mothers who are expecting, and I want to talk about uh, the difference between coaching and counseling, because a lot of times companies do get confused. Uh, they think that, oh, well, we have an EAP program. Uh, we're looking at, you know, the professional or any kind of personal assistance we are providing. So why should we also have a coach or a mentor for pregnancy while a mother can avail counseling, for example? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a huge difference between that, which I would like to highlight, because counseling looks at any kind of subconscious traumas or it looks at therapy that an individual can go through while coaching specifically looks at it's a future oriented goal mm -hmm. you're looking at how to get past from a to b in a very positive manner you're right. not looking at your past you're not looking at well certain times those things do come up but you're not really looking to dwell into what happened to you when you were five years old it is very future driven. It is where you want to see yourself and how you want to go there and what kind of hurdles you're going to be coming your way or the challenges and the situations that uh, will come and that you want to go through. But most of okay. the times EAP is focused on counseling and therapy. And that usually okay. helps mothers who are going through depression, for example, which happens yeah. postpartum. So there is anxiety. Wow. There's anxiety that yes. comes in, but when the anxiety is prolonged or when it starts creating debilitating conditions where a mother can't function in her day-to-day -day duties, that's when therapy or any kind of therapeutical help comes and helps. But coaching is more future-oriented. So there are women. Now, I want to go back to the point where we are in a generation where people are informed and mm -hmm. they do know that becoming pregnant is going to have limitations in their future career. So right. a lot of these mothers are not planning pregnancies now ahead of time. You have seen, or you might wow. have seen a rise wow. in IVF, or you would have seen okay. a rise in eggs being frozen mm -hmm. because they want to keep on working for a long period of time, then plan a pregnancy where they're financially independent or have that stability to then raise a child. Sure. The problem ends up happening is when biologically your body has a certain time Yes. After which, if you haven't really looked after, I mean, if you haven't been healthy, if you have any pre-existing conditions, that might make it difficult for you to kind of keep the pregnancy. Although there are cases where women have been pregnant in their 40s and mid-40s as well, but those are rare. Yes. And you'll yeah. find That's most cool. of them do have complications associated with those. So back in the days, you have, would have seen that, you know, people or the mothers were getting pregnant earlier or having children right. much earlier, like in their right, 20s, right. early 20s. Sure. Absolutely. But now yeah. it's getting late and late. So fertility rates are going down worldwide. I think the current statistics in 2000, I think the last one was 2021, it was at 2.4%. Wow. Globally. And in some regions, it's even low. Like I think it maybe Vietnam or some place, mm -hmm. it's like down to 1.1%. Interesting. It, it, Interesting. it is something to consider because at the end of the day, we are wanting our population to be healthy and happy. But then you have women who are not getting pregnant, who are mm -hmm. kind of going to go through a very difficult pregnancy per se, uh, which is now going to absolutely take them out of the workforce. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It, it's, yeah. It's one big, yeah, it's one big cycle. Come to Hoboken, New Jersey. There's tons of pregnant women and strollers. I feel like it's a boom. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll make you laugh. I mean, just being an observer. But yeah. when you look at regions and you look at obviously statistics and so forth, if you look at generations, for an example, when women really plunged into the workforce in the 70s, the 60s was the revolution, but like the 1950s housewife, my mom stayed home and yeah. that whole generation of raising children and then she went back to you know school later and pushed out her career and so forth. For me, I balanced it all from pretty much the get-go. Like I got my master's and I was going to do what I wanted to do and balance it with my kids and had a partner that was definitely great with doing so. You know, 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's too, you have to have a partnership. And sometimes that's not always the case. That's also, I think, relevant to this conversation where people may want to push it out a little bit more because maybe they don't feel like they have a supportive partner to be able to do that. They're living a lifestyle that they enjoy and that they don't want to pull back. So I think there's so many... You know, I do want to talk about that. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, I think, yeah, it is a lifestyle. I think I, from all my cases that I have seen so far, uh, it kind of boils down to that, you know, where you don't want to let go of what you're already doing. And why should you? And why do you want to compromise that just to kind of make way for having a child? So, I mean, it is different, but yes, majority is having that financial stability in place. before You know, we do know the financial contributions or what you would have to do after having a child. I mean, I mean it's not easy and cheap. Just wait. It doesn't end, Nitty, even in their yeah. 20s. It's forever. Yeah, it's tough. It's really, it's tough. It's finances always, number one, play into effect. I think what you're doing is amazing. I love the differentiation between the coaching versus counseling hat that you wear and the corporations that are connecting to you. Would you say most of your business is coming from your space of where you are in your country or is it coming globally? I mean, of course you're on LinkedIn, how people find you. Yeah. Yeah. So mostly it is right now locally, not so much globally again. That's where I realized that, you know, although I have this desire and this passion of wanting to make an impact and make a difference in the lives of these women, but you know, I'm just one single person with like a small (laughs) candle running around. (laughs) about to be blown out on my on my own <laughs> oh, okay so I thought I need to kind of join and uh, other like-minded organizations who also have this similar vision that they want to make an impact absolutely so recently yeah. I have changed my stance from just a full-on coach mentor to more of an advocate so my now it. next step is wanting to go out and talk about this and bring more of a, an educational and awareness and a holistic perspective to pregnancy, like a workplace pregnancy support. That is exactly what I want to talk about. And you know, maybe HRs don't know about it. And how can we create those lines of communication? Most of the times, people do find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, once, like, let's say, if I have worked with a mother, she would have a good experience. She would give me a testimonial, and then she would spread it within her circle. So that's how yeah. I get I have been found in the past. Yeah. And now so, with the, the University yeah. of Michigan, also with yes. you of my other, I've been a bit vocal now uh, on LinkedIn. I've been posting a bit too. I mean, I've been trying to get into the social media game. I haven't been on it as much, but I think it helps. Whatever little that you do, I think if it makes a difference in someone's life, it's mm-hmm. more than enough. Yeah. Well, I think you have the kindness and you have the soul and you have the beauty to do that because not everybody is you. And not everyone can connect. You would love my friend in Arizona, Dina, because she has that same, that vibe where people want to talk to you or speak to you. I, I want to support whatever you're doing as an advocate and leverage that into the mental health part of it too. I'm doing a little bit of career coaching and counseling now yeah. with some of my international students, helping them land jobs and do that stuff. But it really goes back to the mental health component, yeah. like someone's mental health, like whether you're in a situation, in a job, you just landed your job, yeah. you're newly married, or you're just getting engaged, or you're trying to figure out your beginning of your life. And then there's so much that needs to be thought about. And then you have the pressure of the corporate world, which is a institution in itself, where they, I'm going to be mean here, are not the most supportive often, even when I was working in a college environment, as an institution, not really, you're a body, you're doing the job. And if you're not there, as you were saying, well, then we're going to have to replace her with someone else or Mm -hmm. whatever. And will that job be there? I don't know, six months, a year later, depending on your country you're living in. I want to talk about University of Michigan, because I was holding up the book moments ago with Ethan Cross and Chatter. (laughs) He seems so nice. And I love the book. Tell us about your experience at Michigan. Michigan. So I will talk. Yeah, I will definitely talk about Michigan. So I went to Michigan on a scholarship. I won a GCC scholarship in leadership and sustainability for the work that I'm doing for Avitas or in Avitas, which looks at the social sustainability angle in terms of how can you, you know, retain women, how can we create programs to help pregnancy? And it's not just maternity. We are also looking at uh, paternity too. You know, there are fathers now who are really wanting to be involved in the whole 
the mm -hmm. delivery and the post-pregnancy care of their Absolutely. wife and yes. the child. And unfortunately, companies have still not recognized that. So when we look at the diversity and the inclusion and we're looking at all these things, that is still a very alien concept. I'm hearing cases of mothers who are saying, you know, I want a father of my child to be there at the delivery time. Yes. And he couldn't because he only could take two days off. And I would rather have him after than at that time. But, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, having your spouse next to you while you're delivering is such a different, it's a different alignment altogether. When you're bringing your life into yes. this world, I think it's a right for every yeah. father to be there and for them to have to choose work over that particular moment is quite, you know, disheartening. <laughs> no, I, I know. I agree with you. My husband was with me in my two C-sections and absolutely a hundred percent. And why did they have to choose between, oh, I can have X date off, you know, when the baby's yeah. born. And I'm glad you brought that's a really good point to bring up that corporations, institutions have to really reavow that because guys need to be part of that experience. Men definitely are. I mean, gosh, I think back to my dad's generation or people that are a little older than me as compared to me, as compared to the generations coming up. Absolutely. They want to be part of everything. The millennial, Gen Z or what? Yeah, 100%. And why shouldn't they be? And I think there needs to be a lot more advocating in that direction and having your company to be able to do that. And, you know, we talk about inclusivity and diversity, but is it really happening? Really happening. Like, yeah, coming back to your question, yeah. what you mentioned, I think it's still a very nascent area, especially what I'm talking yeah. about. So, I mean, if you look at diversity and inclusion, I mean, the topic in itself, it took probably 10 years for it to really get ingrained in corporations, yes. for it to become like a part of strategy pillar for them to go forward. Yeah, absolutely. it took about 10 years because I, I, yes. you know, I did some research on it. Although diversity and inclusion was kind of briefly mentioned in the 60s and the 50s and maybe in the early 1990s, but really it was the 2000 mm -hmm. and 2010 is when it actually kicked off and it started becoming a more of a corporate agenda to have that in organizations and corporations. Yeah. So I think what I'm talking about is probably going to take the next 10 years <laughs> to build up. <laughs> and maybe we'll look maybe back at this sad. podcast, you know, maybe in like... 2040 oh and be like oh like look at that <laughs> we're talking about pregnancy uh, support and it's so common like yoga yeah right. hey, do you have a do you have a <laughs> pregnancy coach what your company doesn't provide a mentor <laughs> but i think it has to be this global yeah. thing it, it has pockets like california was always to me more progressive yeah. anyway they were doing acupuncture at like their whole foods probably 10 years ago. And maybe when I got into acupuncture, I don't even know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. So I think it has to do with region, country. Again, I always point to the socioeconomic, you know, people where they are in their lives. And that really drives in the force of the working part as well. You know, when we talk about people going back to work, we're talking not just about white collar. We're talking oh, yeah. about women in general going back to work Absolutely. in all kinds of situations. And they may be alienated when I say they, people of, let's say, different socioeconomic backgrounds where they may mm -hmm. not have a position where they're making a certain larger income yeah. and they don't have choices. They, they are expect, right. they don't have, they don't have a maternity leave. They have to go right Absolutely. back weeks after. Yeah. So how I'm glad fair? you brought this up because one of the dissertations that I did, one of the questions that we looked at was actually on the socioeconomic level in terms of what's your professional background in terms of, you know, how much do you make as a ballpark figure? Women who had sure. licenses or like I said, who were professionally driven or had a background, education, PhD, master's degree, they all exited. Only those who couldn't afford to leave stayed back and came back. The problem that comes in is when these individuals who are already mentally exhausted, physically exhausted and are working, they're not able to provide the kind of atmosphere or the early parenting that should be given to the child. And I think that's a onslaught of whole new different can of worms that I would probably get into, which I wouldn't know on the podcast. Absolutely. But that then creates you know, an yeah. entire generation of children who go through a very severe trauma at the hands of their own mm -hmm. mother. And this is something 
Absolutely. That is becoming, becoming more Absolutely. prevalent now. And we are seeing research that, yes. I'm sorry, but, you know, it's the mothers who are unfortunately abusing emotionally, mentally, and because they are exhausted and there isn't any help available to them. And the cycle repeats and continues. 100%. 100,000 million percent. And that's a global issue yeah. where economics is tied right in, lack of family support, yeah. having to put food on the table and kids, you know, not being able to have, how can there even be support? My mom worked in an inner city school, you know, where situations were all varied. I'm not even pointing to, let me backpedal for a moment, any inner city situation. Yeah. I'm talking about even all situations where, Neglect is seen, and that that's a different part of the conversation. That could be at a higher economic, socioeconomic situation mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so let me clarify that, that when someone is in a position where they're having to go back immediately to go to work, it's logical. How would they have the ability to be a super yeah. mom when they're barely able to like function, work, take care of a newborn, take Absolutely. care of a family? I think it's 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 a very involved and I'll use the word again, divisive topic mm -hmm. that definitely needs to be explored greatly. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's why I think what you're doing is phenomenal in just alerting or poking at corporations to be like, what are yeah. you doing? And COVID, let's talk about COVID for a moment, yeah. because COVID brought us into a whole other oh world where people were working at home, where they were trying to work, you know, as we are virtually, mm -hmm. they were trying to help their child with their homework. No one had yeah. any space to really be, have, let's talk about like, yes. you know, the people, what do we call them? The front runners, the front liners, front liners yeah. in, in all countries. I don't know what it was like in Canada or of course in Dubai, but here, like we as a country yeah. were, oh, yay, look at these people. Like, well, they've always been doing their jobs. Yeah. And now we're applauding them because we're all in our homes and they're out there doing a job and we're home having the luxury, if you want to call it that, having a roof on our house Absolutely. and we can do these things at home and they're out working at a supermarket or they're an EMT. So my point is that the frontliners were the people that, again, being female, would just have to go and do your job. I think. Uh, regardless. regardless so situation on this side of the I mean especially for Dubai I think the government had handled it exceptionally well I think we probably had maybe a month or two of an actual lockdown everything was okay. open and running and they had the drives for vaccines and you know I still remember like till it happened yesterday it was really good the way they had handled the entire pandemic was really congratulatory Amazing. so I would definitely say that it was handled really well on this side and we were open and we were back up and running. So we never really felt mm. what the rest of the world went through in that entire yeah. period of about, four to, you know, yes. was, yeah, about a year period. We didn't really feel as much as what the rest of the world went through. I mean, there were masks. Yes, masks were compulsory. But apart from of that, course, everything was yeah. up and running in about two to three months. What wow. I found, so wow. that's where the mental health piece comes in. Because up until then, up until COVID, yes. I was mostly focused on coaching. And as we talked about, mm -hmm. when we, you know, the coaching was is future oriented, it doesn't really go back into the past. It doesn't really dwell into that too much, although there are certain parts mm -hmm. of it, but most of it is future oriented. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. COVID brought on this, you know, entire mental health crisis for women who then had to do double job, who are now not just working out of homes or being, you know, frontline workers, but at the same time have to now, because the schools are closed, the children are home. And I kid you not, having yes. two kids under six right now is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love them to absolutely I love them. They're angels. But yeah, to have them at home with that kind of energy is just not possible for any individual to oh kind of God. last for 12 hours. And I say that with my heart, yeah. with all awareness and, you know, being a, oh, being yes. a chronic, oh, not a chronic, being a very ancient meditator, I would say, where I have done yoga and I have got a very good grip and control on knowing my impulses or knowing when the anger would come up. And still having that awareness, I am at times feeling like I have to call myself, like I have to go on timeouts because I don't want to blow. I don't want to, you know, give them that kind of. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, mama needs a timeout. I'll be right back. But 
I'm just saying there are times when women don't know that they're even being triggered. If they don't know their strengths, if they don't know their weaknesses, if they don't know their own triggers and things that are causing them to have that outburst and then feel guilty about it, which normally everyone do, even I feel guilty about it. But then there are times they don't know how to process that guilt. And that's where the whole mental health crisis now has come up because you have mothers who are guilt-ridden coming back to work, are not productive, are not efficient, and are kind of causing an issue in the sense where the companies are looking at it and are saying, well, she's no help. She really doesn't add it mm-hmm. for their value. Should we let her go? Mm. Certain places don't have laws like HR laws or like you know the policies surrounding labor contracts are not strong enough. I have seen cases where a pregnant woman would be made redundant based on changes you know i mean these are things that does happen unfortunately it's just the companies have to look at it and say Mm -hmm. does this happen in my company or is this happening and do the stakeholders or the company executives know about it but it does happen if there is a pregnant employee they will make that job redundant if it is a one person department perhaps or if what she's doing can be easily transferred over they might make that position redundant and then legally they can let you go but ethically, is wow. that even correct? Or morally, is that even right? I mean, I've seen mothers who have come to me saying they've let me go. And I just think, mm. just, all right, let's help you go through the process. But uh, legally, that's as best as, you know. Yeah. Wow. And that was in Dubai. That was in Dubai this when these situations globally. were happening. So, yeah, the cases that I've seen are in Dubai, but I've heard cases okay. from my friends, family. Oh, absolutely. You know, oh yeah. It's, it's oh, in yeah. a lot of places. It's very common. It's very rampant, too, unfortunately. So, when we talk about the women centric organizations or when we talk about companies having fantastic agendas, at the end of the day, how many are actually following through with that? And I would say that maybe the stakeholders yeah. are the, the top level. They really want to drive that. They have really good intentions. But I don't know mm. if it really falls through at the bottom level and if it really gets channeled through. I mean, that is something we would have to conduct a very large scale research to look at that. But I'm sure there's something out yes. there. I'm sure Mackenzie or Boston or someone or the other mm. would have done something of the sort. <laughs> or you. You're good at research. I'll sit back <laughs> and you can give me the data. Just look at it. With, <laughs> I'll look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're yeah, you're good, but you're a little busy with your kids. I want to get back to the point about your kids. I mean, honestly, you're a kind, calming person, but we're human. Yeah. I mean, in a while your kids drive you crazy. My 20 and 25 year old. I mean, honestly, like, you know, we were all together during COVID and, and we all need space. And like when you have the little ones and then you're balancing a job and, and it's like you're learning well at that time we were so really not as virtual as we are now and zoom and getting used to your technology and then your oh, kids God. it was like a juggling act i don't even know how anyone honestly survived but we did sort of covid is back it is unfortunately back and we're hearing cases but like please don't ever let it to be <laughs> where we're locked down and that's another thing i think companies are just like even when the numbers grow we're like oh well you know back to work we'll give you yeah. five days off and get better soon and oh and if you have a kid oh well, oh, well yeah. like figure mm-hmm. it out you're not giving the larger spaces of time i think than they you know they did before i think there's just so many balls in the air that we're always trying to juggle and with companies in general. And I would, I just wanted to make one last more comment about, I mean, I'm not bashing women owned companies because some of them are great. However, I think some of them are sort of maybe looking from a different perspective to others that they're sitting on the riding on these coattails of wonderfulness, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're not as wonderful to the people that are actually in it. I haven't particularly worked with any uh, women led organizations. But I have, again, have had cases where individuals have talked about having a women boss and that has been a bit different than having a male boss where they have been much more empathetic or having a a man as a boss has been much more of a compassionate and empathetic journey rather than having a women CEO or a boss. Yeah. Mm. So that cases is there. Yes. (laughs) Without you see, naming anyone or anything, but see. yes, it is. It is quite true. I think uh, I want to. I want to talk yes. about perhaps there is some truth to that too. I think women as general, uh, and I think this is just I've seen and I've heard and I've even like looked at uh, cases yes. where women talk about that. They know they've not received support from 
their own women, which they think they should have. And I just sometimes wonder, is yes. that like a, probably like a biological thing? Does that kind of psychologically, does that go back like in our very ancient times, medieval times when women had to kind of take care of their own little territory and like had to kind of fend for their own family and survival that they would not entertain another individual as a woman to kind of come in and take over the resources. I mean, I don't know where that comes from, but it is still mm -hmm. coming from a low area of, I guess, where individuals may have not worked on themselves. And I say that because there are women, phenomenal women who are supporting and creating programs and are at the helm of these mentorships and are really pushing envelope forward for, you know, women. Okay. But at the same time, Absolutely. there are still many who perhaps have not reached that level of alignment within themselves or may have not reached that awareness and they still see other women as threat and they Absolutely. do not want Absolutely. their position or power. And I think it ultimately comes down to the power, right? They have a certain power in the company and they would not want somebody else to take over that. And it, it's a fact. I think anyone yes. would probably see those kind of individuals in their companies and would be able to call them out. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. When I had the women empowerment chat, like I said, I had all these cool brands and people and the focus really at one part of it was to like women supporting women, right? You need a village. You need people to lean yeah. on. Okay. Sometimes, yes, that could actually really, really happen. I believe, and this is Helene's spin on this, is that it really depends on how secure that person yeah. feels within themselves and how they project themselves as a manager. And sometimes it may not even be the fact that they're a woman, maybe they're just a crappy manager and they don't really know how to manage. And, or they may be jealous of their female counterpart because you know they feel like they could sort of get bumped out and this person could then take on that position. Generally speaking, I have to say, the women bosses that I've had have been awful, horrible, terrible. Did I use enough adjectives? Okay, <laughs> generally, maybe there was. A I hope they don't watch okay. this. It's okay. And I and I and 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 most of the time, the male counterparts are great. Yeah, I've had some definitely guys that were nasty or not nice or unkind, and I mean that's just yeah. human nature and so forth. You can't blank it. But I think often, sometimes in those positions or roles, there's a lot of enviousness. There's a lot of competitiveness. And you feel stuck. That's a whole other podcast. Felt like that for 10 plus years of my life in a position where I really felt I could not speak my truth with a lot of stuff. I felt pigeonholed and it was excessively difficult. And that's why we have Coming From The Heart podcast because this is mine and I can pretty much navigate the way I want to and not have those constraints. But not all situations are like that. You know, not everyone's going to go off and have a podcast like me or develop a brand like you. I mean, how do you feel about having your own brand that no one is dictating to you? Let me put that on you for a moment. It's fantastic. Doesn't it feel great, right? You have the creative agency to do what you want to do. I mean, at the end of the day, you are your yes. own employee and you're your own boss, kind of, you know, you are accountable to your own self and to the yes. people that you were wanting to serve. So until Absolutely. you have that clarity in your mind with how you're functioning and you have that vision, yes. which is going to propel you and keep on pushing you forward. So I had the clarity that I want to do this and I want to bring this forward. The brand aspect, I haven't really like created that. Like I haven't thought about that. I want to make this like the biggest brand. I, I'm not looking at the commercial, uh, the revenue yes, driven I, idea. Mm -hmm. Like my as yeah. of right now, my clarity and my stand is to bring as much awareness and education, whether it comes through me, the brand is just a name to propel it forward because it's mm -hmm. easier for people to remember perhaps Avita's maternity sure. wellness as opposed to yeah. Nityashri or, you know, Nityashri or Niti as an individual. But yeah, I mean, it has the potential to grow. I think at the end of the day, it is a message. And for me, I guess it comes down to if I'm able to inspire other women yes. through this and if they want to start creating programs in their own company so for for a very long time I think in the initial stages I thought I wanted to be that person you know I want to be creating these and that but then I realized that well that doesn't serve my purpose my purpose is to bring education and awareness on this topic and I mean, there's seven billion yes. people in the world and yeah. it's just me I can't do it alone <laughs> so somewhere, yeah, no I, I, I yeah. love it 
I love the focus. I love the focus of education and not hyper-focusing on the brand because the brand can evolve. It's Absolutely. the focus of yeah. what you're trying to do. You know, and back to my moments of women bosses and women company, I have to positively, as we wrap this, my friend Mel from Milani, who's Milani Rogers from Balance, which is an eating disorder facility in Manhattan. She's amazing. I love you, Mel. She is like the kindest, most wonderful person, boss. She supported all of her employees, which are mostly women who work for her in that space of eating disorders. And she's a registered dietitian and so forth. She's phenomenal, phenomenal. There are phenomenal women out there. So I don't want to hear like, oh, please fashion. I am not fashion anybody. I am not what I'm just, I'm just speaking my truth from my own experience. But, you know, I think it really depends on the company and there's all types of stories and Mm -hmm. narratives as we are globally so connected. So the last moments of us together, Nitty, is what I call our heart to heart. And we really was having a heart to heart the whole time. But a heart to heart is where I ask the guest a situation that has touched your heart, enamored you in a way that you would love to share. Well, I'm a reader, actually. <laughs> so I say okay. uh, I read a lot. I mean, I, I enjoy reading. I, I enjoy having a nice good book nice cup of tea coffee and you know mm-hmm. have a nice good old uh reading time i would say there are a couple books that have kind of changed me or i've had an aha moment where my entire perspectives of life have changed and i think that's where i come from the first one is alchemist that really changed in the way where i was seeing things around me like the treasures are within me not outside so this constant search mm. for looking outside is really doesn't like it doesn't serve any purpose you know like i think the treasures are within you so what can you kind of dig in bring that out to where that's where i kind of found that to be my aha moment uh, in terms of realization and the second one where i kind of went to the path um, of perinatal mental health has a bit of a spiritual angle which i'll probably talk about it has to do with the book that i read by dr brian weiss i believe many lives many masters and it talked about how the soul kind of reincarnates into different bodies over time so soul doesn't die there is an idea where you're able to go into your past lives and you have had thousands lives before the life that you have right now and you are a collective of those lives like you're collective unconscious or conscious of those lives and it kind of made me like i'm like oh my god like that was more of that moment where everything kind of just exploded for me within me where I've realized that, wow. you know, what I do now has some semblance to something that I may have done in the past and for the future as well. And if there is a future, that means the death is eminent and the birth is eminent too. What kind of birth am I going to have? And if the mothers of the present world are not centered and aligned, when a new baby is born, will that individual, will that soul be aligned to that mother? Because the soul is the mother... Huh? <laughs> yeah it Amazing. is a soul that chooses yeah. the mother and it's very easy to conceive i would say it's very easy to bring a child into this world but it is not easy to create that child or mold that child or make that child to be the superpower for tomorrow or a future leader for tomorrow so if we are able to kind of make mothers more mentally happy and healthy to bring down these souls who want to come in i think uh, it just adds a like a fantastic dimension to what you're doing right now in life. Yeah. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> I like have this visual. Like, I want those books. You got to send that yeah, to me. Yeah, definitely. I definitely amazing. Because I often will say, and I want to hear your spin too about your own children. Both of my kids are such old souls. I yeah. will say that all the time. In so many different ways. I mean, I went to a median one time, and this is an entirely different conversation. Well, podcast. Gotta have- <laughs> Ooh, well, my dad passed is 11 years. My mom passed 10. And when my dad had just passed a year after he had passed, my mom and I went to this median together because I was very spiritual. I was sort of very much getting into the spirituality of just a lot of things. And there was a lot of discussion about a lot of stuff, but what she did say about my son, and it's so interesting because he definitely fits this part of my life, is that in some one of my lives, he was my dad. 
he is a very parental and like you're like my kid is my like you know you're trying to but in a metaphorical like way and he is nitty in so many aspects where he in different places or of, of what i'm dealing with or going through where he will absolutely give me that comfort of a parent of my dad and it's yeah and my daughter in a different way my daughter's probably from the 40s she's a gen zer but she's an yeah. old soul oh, yeah so thank you for sharing that and making me Ooh, I feel like goosebumps about that. Tell me about your kids. Oh, you yeah. Feel that in yours? So because I had that knowledge, I went through an entire process. It's called Garbhasanskar. It's a very traditional term, actually. And all Indian women or the women of the subcontinent, uh, Indian diaspora, have this ritual in their eighth month of pregnancy that they go through with the mother-in-laws and like their entire families, where they're kind of blessing the baby in utero. But the Garbhasanskar rituals, apart from that, traditionally, it's a very long womb culturing activity that a mother goes through spiritually to make sure that the baby is healthy. Because I think a lot of things that we do these days, you know, especially mothers, we're really open to understanding what, like, for example, parabens or chemicals in a shampoo can affect the baby, a caffeine can affect the baby. But so everything is on a very material or the physical level. We're working out, we're making sure that we're eating healthy and having organic food. But what about the spiritual angle? What about the mentally, are you nourishing the baby? What kind of thoughts are going in your head? What kind of things are you thinking? Because thoughts hold a lot of power, right? We talk about manifestations. What you think can actually happen. So if a mother is more aware and intuitive into her own thoughts, she's able to manifest the kind of child that she wants to bring into this world. So, I mean, that's a complete different area of my focus as well where I work with mothers who actually have a gravitational pull of wanting to manifest certain behaviors and certain characteristics into the child. And we work towards that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, give me an example. I want my child to be really, really neat. My daughter is not like, well, no, I'm teasing you. I'm just, I want them to make money and not take mine. Okay. Like, give me an example. about how the souls choose the mothers as well. Like, they choose the... Ah, So, uh, there are souls who want to be born in a certain environment or certain conditions, and they have their own pre-existing karmas that they need to work out. So, they're also on a lookout for certain, you know, wombs or the mothers who can actually give them that kind of environment and atmosphere. So, for example, we look at prodigies, right? You know, we see little 18-month-old playing piano. Like, where is that coming from? Well... Perhaps the mother wanted a child to come into her life who has certain exquisite skills, and that does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so again, going back to the part where we're focusing on the prenatal part where a mother is pregnant is especially because of this. We want her to create and manifest and have a space for a healthy pregnancy to go through and not be stressed, not be burnt out, not be anxious. Like We don't want any of the negative emotions because all those things do exactly. weigh down. Um Unfortunately, hmm. pregnancy loss is quite high too. You know, 80% of pregnancies do end up in loss in the first trimester. So it is something that is quite common. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. And that happens because wow. the mother and the soul or the baby is not aligned or there are complications in the body. When the mother conceives, that womb is not good enough for the baby anymore. I mean, there's a whole spiritual angle to a loss. Amazing. Well. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> we could just... We've got so many interesting subtopics yeah. going on I mean, here. I'm you know, coming from a corporate back. environment, talking about business <laughs> organization, women retention, and now we're kind of, you know, delving into spirituality of women and <laughs> pregnancies. It's fantastic. No, but you know what, Nitty, like the spirituality for me is the umbrella to everything I feel that you do, because that to me holds it all together. Yeah. Because your mindset throughout everything and your mindset as you are living in this world defines it, you know, your mindset of working in a job, deciding to be pregnant. And the whole soul thing is just blowing my mind. Like, I'm just thinking about the soul deciding where to go. And I, you know, for so many situations, as you mentioned, where pregnancies are terminated because of so many situations that go wrong, but the way you were presenting it to say, okay, I mean, clearly this person's going to go through a tremendous amount of mental health situations. 
but to present it well that that wasn't the time for this child to be here. I mean, but I think that you are amazing at what you do and that you, the way you described it, and I got to read these books. And for anybody out there, I'm going to throw that out Mm -hmm. on the description. And we are going to do another podcast about the spiritual stuff because that, if you're down for that. That's that's one of my, I guess you can say my calling. I love it. One of my callings. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I feel it. I totally feel it. And thank you, Ethan, for letting me find her on LinkedIn. Okay. It's all because of Ethan. The universe aligns you with people that you're supposed to meet. This has been an incredible conversation. Absolutely. And I guess the question is, people can find you where, I guess, LinkedIn is the yeah, best LinkedIn, route or Instagram, if they're more corporates, if you're looking for more professional training workshops, if you're wanting your HR or your companies to be more aligned to more of a culture that kind of supports pregnant women. And if they have an agenda of want okay. to create workplace wellness around pregnancy and I guess, you know, not have that discrimination towards they can find me through LinkedIn, can be approached there, or just for my social media, can follow me on Nitya but or Evitas Global. Those are available too for like your daily yeah, day-to-day tips. <laughs> yeah, totally. How'd you come up with your name of your company? Where'd that so come from? It's from my firstborn. His name is Avam and uh, it's okay. Latin. Avam is a it. space, it's mentioned in, it's, it's actually in Latin and also in Sanskrit. It's a space where the saints, angels, archangels you know that's where they reside so it's not the earth plane it's like a level i guess in between the earth plane and the god plane where most of oh the God. you know huge super souls reside that's the space called Ava so i thought you know it'd be amazing to kind of have that and evitas means you know not changing and motherhood i think i feel like you know once you become a mother it's not like you can unbecome a mother you can't change that anymore like that transformation has already happened yes I don't even know what else to say. You're awesome. I love you. I'm so happy you're here. I'm thinking about all the places that I could have you come on. Definitely the women's mental health. And if anybody's out there, of course, listening to this incredibly beautiful conversation with our new friend here, and you are in the spiritual space and you want to join in and we can have, we can even hop on an Instagram live. We can do all kinds of stuff together. I think that is something that people would absolutely find unbelievably amazingly cool and fun to to talk about i'm definitely going to connect you with my friend empower to heal dina because she speaks in this space and thank you for joining me i loved having you and uh, we'll thank speak you soon. so much okay thanks again Lee. Please check out my episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and weekly Instagram lives where I am honored with talented, exceptional guests. Can't wait to see you all there.